Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorified in your sight. For you, O oh God, are our rock and you are our redeemer. Amen. It is so good to be back here with you all. Though I will admit, I've had to start checking myself before I leave the house. Is that the curry I ate for lunch on my shirt or is it baby poo? Am I wearing pants? I have to check that there is no spit up on my shoulder or white goo in my hair. And I am very proud to say that today I even took a shower. And after a summer of becoming and learning and growing with our baby daughter, Eliza, I'm reminded of the ways that we are always learning and growing and becoming. And today, this morning, I'm grateful for this scripture. Well, really for this whole sermon series. Well done, Seth. Good job. But I'm grateful for the ways that it is asking and challenging us to explore what Jubilee can look like within our lives. Maybe especially now. What ways are all of us called to learn and grow and become God's people? What ways are we called to celebrate God's presence in our lives? As I read of the Jubilee, I loved the idea of the shofar sounding at the year of the Jubilee's Yom Kippur service, when atonement for our sins had been made and God's graciousness, a gift like none other, can be reveled in. If this was a Jubilee year, the shofar would have sounded this past week and there would have been singing and shouts of joy as our Jewish siblings called forth this holy time. These sounds marking time set apart. Maybe for some of us in our meekness, we wouldn't shout and sing, it might seem a little gauche, but maybe our lives themselves can cry out of the ways that love transforms and inspires. And these trumpet sounds, they sound much like the ringing of a church bell. This time, it's holy. Our Sunday Sabbath, sanctified when we join it together, whether near or far, sharing and set apart this time in our week. It's a pause from all the striving and the doing to the being, to the being in God's holy presence and affirming our enoughness. I have to also say that I'm grateful in my coming back that Seth gave me a few weeks <laughs> because, oh boy, friends, this text, this text and especially in this climate, as we have felt the heat this summer of racial injustice coming to a boil, an outcry and uprising of people after years of oppression. Having a scripture that talks openly about slavery, while well, it opens a door 
for so much. So much that is raw and tender and hurting, so much pain in our society. The brokenness that has been laid bare, exposed and needed to be explored. And while this passage is that, it is also so much more. And its message of liberation might ring a little hollow. See, translation matters. The words that we choose are vitally important. One word or letter omitted can drastically change the entire meaning of a particular message. I remember my father served a little church in coastal Maine. It was a white clapboard building off of Route 1 at the center of this little tiny fishing village where members would bring buckets of mussels or clams to our door. And every year this tiny church would have a rummage sale. And everyone in the village of 500 would turn up and folks from the surrounding communities would come as well. And there would be everything blueberry, as is the case in Maine. There'd be pies and jams and muffins and bars and syrups. There would be crafts made out of lobster claws and bowls of fresh seafood chowder for sale. The weeks leading up to the rummage sale, there'd be a notice in the church bulletin for clothing items or other donations. And in a comical typo, one R infamously omitted, it drastically changed the meaning of this announcement. We have too many shirts. Please save any that you are wishing to donate for next year's sale. I remember my dad hearing a thing or two about that one getting printed in the bulletin. And while mistranslations and miscommunications can be funny, they can also have dire implications. The words we choose and how we translate a text, especially scripture, is important. Because while initially the verses that we find ourselves reading today speak of the Jubilee's principle of radical equality for all people, we soon realize that maybe, maybe this passage was only for the in crowd. The translation we choose makes the difference. Another translation reads, reads a little differently. It says, if your fellow Israelites become poor and sell themselves to you, do not make them work as slaves. It goes on. Because the Israelites are my servant, whom I have brought out of Egypt. They must not be sold as slaves. Do not rule over them ruthlessly, but fear your God. And it's not only the translation, but the texts we choose and maybe what we choose to leave out that matters. And if we read on just a few verses past where Eli left us this morning, our radical message of equality changes even more. The verse immediately following reads, your male and female slaves are to come from the nations around you. From them you may buy slaves. You may also buy some of the temporary residents living among you and members of their clans born in your country and they will become your property. 
You can bequeath them to your children as inherited property and can make them slaves for life. But you must not rule over your fellow Israelites ruthlessly. This, this does not seem to reckon with the message of God's abundant love and cry for justice. The Israelites shall be set free with the Jubilee, but those other nations do with them as you will. They are not part of the in crowd. In 1906, William Sumber, Sumner posited that humans are a natural group-forming species and that there is a predisposition to favor one's own group. He wrote, each group nourishes its own pride and vanity, boasts itself superior, exists in its own divinities, and looks at contempt on outsiders. Have you seen this in our world? And sure, maybe this can seem innocent enough. The practice of this theory, though, has also been responsible for so much pain. From bullying at recess to our current political state and to mass genocide. So while Leviticus establishes the liberation of slaves, we're called to explore and expose the restrictive nature and where this passage limits. It limits to us and ours and excludes them. But Jesus, Jesus calls us to be more expansive and inclusive for all people. We have to remember that Jesus was continually taking the laws of the Torah, laws like those found within Leviticus, and getting to the root of them, where humanity altered God's intention. The Bible, after all, while divinely inspired, was transcribed by fallible humans. Time and again, in his teachings, we hear Jesus say, you have heard it said, referring to those things that are written in the Torah. But I say unto you. And Paul reminds us in Galatians that God's liberation is not just for some, but it is for all. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, there is neither male or female, for you all are all one in Christ Jesus. The belovedness God has for all people, not just my people. God's love is not restricted by nationality. Jesus points to the Samaritan not as the excluded other, but as the one who manifests God's love. God's love expands beyond gender, affirming folks in their God-given selves. God's love is not based on your income bracket. God's love does not set up walls, barriers, or bounds. God's love is not restricted by a political party. Jesus helped the Roman centurion who would have lived a life praising Caesar as well as he helped the observant Jew. God's love is not blind unity. God's love holds accountable those who abuse and neglect God's beloved. Just look at what Jesus says about those who hurt children or 
who neglect widows or orphans or outcasts. The forces of evil in this world look to divide, to cultivate fear and hate. But on this World Communion Sunday, we are reminded that God's table is set for the whole world. And that we are called to this table, a table that never turns away. We are called to this table that welcomes without restriction. We are called to this table by God, not for what we have done, but because we are. We are. We are loved, grace pouring out, and in this meal, we are transformed. When our daughter Eliza was born, I was overcome with this miracle of new life in the world. My heart expanding in ways that I never even imagined. Knowing love as I have never known it before. And I was also struck that in bringing life and joy into this world, that she will return to God eventually in death. That there will come a time where she will become as helpless again as she was when she was first born. That she will know pain and heartache, that she will know sadness and exclusion in some ways in her life. But I pray for her, and I pray for all of us, that the pain of this life doesn't embitter us turning us to only care for me and mine, but that in all life holds, God's love breaks us open, that we may be free from the bondage of our lives so that we may be forces of love in the world, standing with, listening to folks as we work for the liberation of all people. And I believe that our Jewish siblings have something to teach us here. In the Jubilee following Yom Kippur, we are reminded that first we must atone, that we must confess out loud to one another and to God the ways that we have fallen short, both as a people and as a community. The ways that we, like this passage from Leviticus, have made space for us and ours, where we have striven to be part of the in-crowd within our own hearts and homes and within our world. In the opportunities we create, the loans that we give, the access to education and medical care that is provided, we have to atone and to ask forgiveness. But the story doesn't end there. And maybe in the doing of this work of atonement and liberation, we will find ourselves shouting and singing and we'll hear trumpets sounding. That in the freedom of all folk, in this is truly the Jubilee. And in this work, this hard, messy, uncomfortable work, work in which we don't always look good where we say or do the wrong thing, 
that we can't let our own fear paralyze us. Because it's in this work of atonement, liberation, and love that something beautiful can be born. And it is in this, it is in this hard, messy, complicated love that they will know we are Christians. Amen.